0: Hello, everybody. I am amateur theologian Jim Barton, and I'm here with...
1: Reverend Abigail Conley.
0: And this is another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Branch. Today, we're going to talk about the first of our episodes about conflicts in the Bible. And this is, I think, an important um, way that we um, read the Scripture, which is understanding that the Scripture is really a conversation. It has a lot of um, give and take, and a lot of different perspectives, and so we're going to start off by talking about the, the um, topic of family values. So, I kind of think we we live in a world where I think if you talk to the average person on the street, they would believe that the Bible is uh, very clearly supports standard Western family values. Right, and. Um, There's some pretty important authors in the Bible and characters in the Bible who seem to challenge that notion And the first one we're going to start with is um, Jesus Christ So Abby, what what does Jesus have to say about family values?
1: Jesus said anyone who loves mother or father or brother more than me is not worthy to be called into my kingdom
0: So that doesn't sound very family values It
1: doesn't sound very family values And as someone who quoted that to her mother once yeah. Um, it does not go over particularly well in the conversation with your family.
0: That's hilarious. Now, she knew it was from Scripture. Yes. And what does she say? You're not Jesus?
1: I think I just got an eye roll. Oh, okay. That's generally what I get about those things.
0: And we have some examples of specific, right, when um, his mother and brother come to him when he's preaching. And I always heard this story to understand that they were afraid he was getting carried away. Ooh. I don't know if that's really accurate in the story, but he's his mother and brother come to Jesus to like basically. I got like I said I don't know and maybe it's because of his response, but then when someone told him, "Hey, your mother and brother are here," he basically said, "Well, who's who's my mother? Who's my brother? Right. This is my family, right?" Yeah. And honestly, <coughs> um, if you stood up, uh, a chalice. And said so I'm gonna tell you right now: anybody in this building that loves isn't willing to walk away from their family for the More sake water? of this church, you don't belong here. I don't think that would be well received.
1: I doubt it. That
0: that, that starts to sound a little uh, a little Manson, no, 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 right? A no, no, little, no. little cultish, right? Um, so
1: it could work for a disgruntled twenty-something,
0: but it could work. You might get a different crowd. Yeah. Maybe maybe we we'll roll it out and see what happens. Um, then the next two people that I want to talk about is what I call real Paul and fake Paul and so uh, you're the one with the seminary degree so maybe you can tell us a little bit about the undisputed letters versus the disputed letters and like why do we think and all that and... right
1: so there are some things so Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ and there are some books of the Bible that it's very clear hey Paul wrote this
0: and, and actually more than just AF, I mean Paul is responsible for most of the words well, as a, what's attributed, we're going to talk about it What's right. attributed to Paul is most of the words In the New Testament right? And and seems to very clearly Be responsible for the spreading of the church So that the reason right. we have Christianity Is as much because of Paul as because of Jesus And we're talking about the historical people
1: Right, and so what we're talking about Are all called epistles, which is a fancy word For letters, written to various places So There's 1st and 2nd Corinthians, both written to a church In a city called Corinth Ephesians, written to its church called, in no, a city right? called Ephesus. Romans written to Rome. All of those things kind of just fall in line. Um, so Paul wrote a lot of these as he was going around and founding churches. It follows that, hey, he wrote this letter, he sent it to the church, the church kept it, it became scripture. But in the ancient world was common, whereas if... Um, You know, we see plagiarism as a bad thing or lying and saying, like, oh, yeah, this person did this work and it wasn't. That was a way to show honor. So um, there's the idea of a Pauline school. And so people who are trained in the same tradition as was fairly common in the Greek world. And then they emulate Paul with their writing. So from that, you get some what you call fake Paul, which is probably one of Paul's students um, writing instead and calling himself Paul.
0: And we can tell that, so, no, that. there's a set of letters that are the indisputed letters that like everybody seems to agree that, it, I heard one, one um, person say, if, if Paul didn't write it, then another Paul wrote it. In other words, it's written by the same person. Right. It, we don't, it seems like it's Paul in all intents and purposes, and based on when it, the timing kind of matches up, right? Right. And then, so for example, the, the pastoral letters are letters written to the 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. They seem to be much later. <coughs> they maybe almost talk about Gnosticism, kind of maybe. Right. They um they talk about a whole different structure of church that like there wasn't that structure of church didn't it exist exists. when right. Paul was writing. It's, so it's it's in com, it says things that are completely anachronistic if it was written by Paul at the time when Paul was around. Right. So um, besides you know trying to do it a little bit. Um, on purpose sort of aggravating a little stirring the pot a little with using bacon real Paul um, let's talk about what real Paul the indisputed letters what the attitude that Paul has towards family um,
1: so that Paul is not pro-marriage at all
0: because actually anti-marriage
1: very anti-marriage because the um, return of Christ is imminent it's going to happen at any moment and so why get married
0: there's, There's only, only one reason yourself. There's only one reason To get married Because right? you
1: can't control Your sexual If desires. you need
0: to have sex Then yes. get married P.S. The worst possible reason that's To get married hmm? By the way Just like <laughs> I grew up
1: fundamentalist Yes There are many marriages That have begun and ended For right.
0: solely that reason <coughs> And that's a not a great reason To get married So um, Well but That's not what that Paul says So but I mean the part, Right He very clearly says Just don't do it Yeah Um so he's probably the most anti marriage because, frankly, Jesus is, sort of has this attitude about your, your mother and your father and all that kind of but Jesus actually does say don't get divorced, right. and you can only get divorced in the case of infidelity. We think that is probably about social justice and economic justice, right? In other words, what Jesus really says is you can't throw your wife away. Right. Don't just, like, kick your wife out and make her homeless and without any means to support herself.
1: And it's worth noting from a pure marriage perspective that um, for many centuries, this was, I mean, Roman Catholic tradition teaches marriage as a sacrament, and that is because Jesus instituted by being at the wedding in Canaan. Right. And so, like, this is, this is not only Jesus is not anti-marriage, Jesus is pro-marriage, and Creates this institution and the sacrament for the church.
0: So we have, right. So we have Jesus in both. Now, of course, Jesus didn't write anything down. Right. So we have different gospel authors giving Jesus different perspectives that kind of range from like sort of endorsing marriage, endorsing marriage, right? Yeah. I mean, he's there at the wedding, he's certainly right, to kind of being a little bit like uh, at least ambivalent about family, right? Paul, Anti-marriage, just plainly anti-marriage. There's no other way you can say it. Right. And then, um, and then, in the what's the nicer way to say fake Paul in the pastoral pseudo Pauline pseudo Pauline authors. Now all of a sudden we're super pro-marriage. You can't be a bishop unless you have unless you're married and have kids. And how can you trust someone to be in charge of the church if you can't be in charge of his family? Right. So you're reading that you. <laughs> it's really. Um, sort of jarring as you read these, like, these radically anti-authoritarian letters from Paul. Now, Paul doesn't like, Paul doesn't like sex. Sex really bothers Paul and he's really upset about all kinds of sex stuff. So that, he's got that going, but generally, he's talking about the power of the people and the power of Christ transcends the the secular authorities and principalities, and it's about our kingdom in heaven, and it's this very, like, almost revolutionary um, themes, and then you all of a sudden you get to these letters. And now, it's like, all of a sudden, we turned into Ozzy and Harriet and have these, like, 1950s models of, like, if a man can't be in charge of his house, how can he be in charge of the church? Right. What? What church? Where did that even come from? So, I feel pretty comfortable disregarding that teaching out of Timothy, honestly, to tell you the truth. I mean, I really think it it shows where the church started to fall, which is when the church started, like, getting in bed with authoritarianism and really started, like, joining the government in its way to rule people instead of being a Christ-inspired movement. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. I mean, that's whatever. I mean, they're both are Scripture. It doesn't... It, we can't really just, like, throw it away. Um, now, everything we've talked about is New Testament. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about the Old Testament because...
1: The Old Testament views marriage and, quite frankly, most family relationships as an economic relationship. And that's not to say there wasn't love among families or anything like that this is much more of an economic arrangement Um, including mothers needing sons because if they outlive their male spouses which is likely um, assuming they survive childbirth then they need a son to care for them Um, marriage happens as families decide to join economies or you know they invade a land and take the women as wives a woman gets raped and taken as a wife All of those things that are economic transactions. And also very much outside the world of biology where, oh, well, sex means you might get pregnant. And if you get pregnant, then we need to make sure you're with the father of that child. Right. We need to secure that, like, you're only having sex with who would be the father of that child.
0: Right. And we were noting that, although in the creation story, mm, the second creation story... in the Bible, anyway, the first one, we think, written, but it has, um, it recognizes men and women are to be married, that that's the, you create man and woman separately so that you can have coupling, but there's no, like, marriage ceremony in the Old Testament. Leviticus doesn't have the marriage ceremony. I was joking, it tells you where to put the right, in the tabernacle, but it doesn't tell you how to get married. Um, And yeah, I mean, plural marriage is pretty okay in the Bible, right? Yeah. I mean... It's, I don't know how you could say otherwise it's it's, it's throughout
1: it's multiple wives it's not multiple um, right. husbands
0: no. um, and um, yeah there are those like uncomfortable rules about like you know if you rape someone then you have to marry them it, that is uh, unfortunate that's right. an unfortunate passage um, we don't like to super talk about that but I mean <laughs> so that's why honestly we only gave the Old Testament here like 90 seconds is because frankly the Old Testament this doesn't really touch on our idea of family values at all
1: no it has a totally different social structure than we do
0: so as we wrap up what does it mean that there's more than one point of view on family values in the bible what what should christians take away from that fact
1: so my go-to is always discernment and um that what informs that conversation is what is life-giving what are the things that are life-giving for you, for your family, for whatever choices you're making? Because chances are where life is, is where God is.
0: There you go. And that's how, that seems like a good rule to resolving these conflicts as we discuss more of them in the future. All right. So in the meantime, um, I hope you all have a, a great uh, week and uh, cheers.